We want to greet all those who are in warmer climates. <laughs> Although when I got up this morning, it was a balmy 30 degrees, which is quite a few degrees more than it was a few days ago. So while they're enjoying warmer weather, John and I managed to keep the pulpit warm. And we know that Tom will be back very soon. But I was thinking in terms of, and even while we were singing, there's something about, um, I, I just got to thinking about people we know and love in various parts of the country and, and, and people in Florida enjoying warmer weather. And we're up here in, in the northern, closer to the northern part of the country. And you can go even further north and it gets a little bit colder from what I understand in Minnesota. But you can go east and west and you can go all across this country and we can enjoy diversity. I mean, this country is full of diversity. Just as one country, we have diversity of, of climate. We have diversity of landscape and terrain. There's a diversity of, of resources. We have a diversity of cultures. We are many peoples, and yet we call ourselves one nation. And I think about that when it comes to us as his church. And I think in terms of what does it mean, and while we're singing, I'm thinking, you know, the reality, because I don't, I don't, Although I have thoughts and hopes of things that are in the future, they don't have to be distant future. There could be things manifest within this assembly this morning. Because God's not limited by any of that. As far as He's not, He's not holding back in a sense where He wants to just purposely withhold his benefits and his blessings and his gifts. But I thought, we here we are, a diverse group of people. I, I wonder how I even got here. Because it's like I don't belong here sometimes. I wasn't born here. I had no reason to come here except to be joined to an assembly of people. I could have done church where I was at. But there's something of a reality. There's something of an expectation and hope. I hope in you because it's in me. That says, you know what? We as all these diverse individuals, none of us have to be the same as each other. We just need to learn to be joined to one another. We need to have the same care for each other that Jesus Christ has for each one of us. And my hope and expectation is, is that as this temple being built and as it's being joined together block by block and person by person, that there comes a moment in time when he manifests himself in this assembly. I hope you have some expectation of that because I don't want to just play church. I really don't. I want to know God in the midst of this assembly
as he who would personally manifest himself through whatever means. And the gifts are part of that. Individualism is killing the church. Spiritual individualism, as someone coined the word. We learn to come to church. We learn to assemble. We learn the word. We pray as individuals. We claim promises as individuals. We pray as an individual. We give as individuals. We do a lot of things as individuals. And yet I, the more I study and the more I think and ponder on these things, the more I realize is that God intended for things to happen within His body. You and I, as individuals, cannot have all the gifts of the Spirit. There's something about this binding, this this being joined together that I think is very important. And that's not my message for tonight or this morning. I just want, I just had to say that. Because when I think about it, it encourages me to think that God is not limited. And it's not God who is keeping these things from happening in our assembly. So what do we need to do? We, we need to learn. We need to learn. But we need to learn certain things, right? We need to learn uh, how to walk in His Spirit. Because as we learn to walk in His Spirit, His Spirit, not, not our imagined idea of what His Spirit is, but His Spirit, because it's His Spirit that resides, hopefully, in your heart, and your heart, in your heart, in your heart, in all of our hearts of those who He has called and has placed His Spirit within us as individuals. And yet, when we learn to walk in the Spirit, is it not the same Spirit that we walk in that He's placed in each one as individuals? So when we learn to walk in His Spirit, we are learning to love each other as He would. We're learning to view each other as He views us. We're learning to consider one another as He considers us. Otherwise, we're just formulating all these interesting ideas about what Christianity is about. And believe me, we do need some order and guidelines. I'm not saying let's go willy-nilly and start running around the building and screaming and hollering and knocking chairs over and ignoring the fact that there's other people in the room. My concern would be for myself that if I'm going to live one more day, one more week, one more year, one more decade in this place, I have got to be willing to cleave, I don't know how else to say it, it's a strong word, or attach myself, or so commit myself to everyone in this room. And you need to do the same. Otherwise, we're not a 
temple of God. We're, you know, I was tempted to draw on the board, but I don't need the laughter because I know my cartoons would just be terrible. But if you can just picture for a moment what a temple or what these buildings blocks would look like if all these blocks were being shaped and formed and chiseled and made to fit together and all we wind up with is a field of three or four over here and one over here and six over there and ten piled up in a random manner over here. What do we have? Nothing. We don't have a temple wherein God dwells. We've got all these piles of rock. But you know what? Being in a family, being in a church, being united one to another can be messy. We all know that. Anyone who has a family understands that it can be messy. There's individuals in every family, isn't there? Are they all the same? No. No. I've got a brother. I was the good one. And and I was the good-looking one. But see, that's what I'm saying. We're all different. But if you would, turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to try to preach me a 50-minute message. That's why I talked for 10, and now I'm going to start the clock. (laughs) Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each shall bear his own burden. There's a lot said there. And in the context of the letter of Galatians, if you were to, if, if we just think about the letter to the Galatians, most of us who have read it or have heard what it is, you're probably thinking of various things, but you know it's a letter written to those who were Judaizing, who were trying to be legalistic about their, you know, and, and, and imposing on Christians the law. And they wanted to come in and say, faith in Christ is a good thing. I don't know if they were saying this, but they were implying that that wasn't enough. That you also had to be circumcised. You also had to keep the law. You had to do more than what Jesus did on your behalf. We also think of the works of the flesh. We think of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we think of, sowing, think of sowing and reaping. We think of a lot of things. But just to set some of the context... I want to look at a few scriptures, and we'll start in chapter 1. Paul is addressing these people, and in chapter 1, verse 4, verse 3, he's addressing the churches in Galatia. It's a group of churches in a region. And he says, Grace to you and peace from God 
from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of the Father. So he wants these people to remember that it's Jesus Christ who gave himself for your sins and mine and those of the churches in Galatia. He wants them to understand that it is his work and his work alone that delivers you. You're not going to, by your works, deliver yourself more. And then in chapter 2, in verse 14, he's rebuking Peter about an incident. It says, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as the Jews? For we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. He's addressing Peter directly because at one point, we know that he, for fear of those who are the Jews, they came to a certain gathering and he decided, you know what? I need to back away from these Gentiles because I'm over here having me a barbecue sandwich. And these Jews, are gonna, I'm going to have a problem because they're seeing that eating certain things and living a certain way as the Gentiles were allowed to is going to be a problem, and I might suffer for it. So he's rebuking them for living almost hypocrisy in, in, in a sense that I'm claiming, I'm professing that Jesus Christ is the one and only means of my justification. And then in verse 20 of chapter 2, we all know these verses. 2 and 20 probably quote these. It says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So what he's telling these people is what? Listen. Your justification before a holy, righteous God is by faith alone, through Christ alone, by His grace. The point that he wants to make, and he's pretty vehement against these Judaizers who are sneaking in and trying to spy out their liberty and impose the law upon those who have already been set at liberty from the law for righteousness' sake. So when you think about it, if you were to impose upon yourself to 
not only cleave to and adhere to the work that Jesus did on your behalf, but if you as a person were to then say, you know, but I also need to keep the law and impose upon yourself another means by which you're also going to justify yourself. He's saying, listen, if you who are going to try to keep the law as your means of righteousness, Christ has died for you in vain. There's no, there's no reason. Because now you're attempting to apply rules to your life, the law in order to be justified before God. And we know that by the law, no flesh will stand pleasing in his sight by the law. We all know this. It's not surprising. But then in chapter 3, he challenges these, what he calls foolish Galatians. And he asks them these questions in verse 2 of chapter 3. He says, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Is there ever a chance... As he challenges these Galatian Christians, when he says, listen, who, by what means was my spirit supplied to you? And by what means, and obviously they had miracles within their assemblies, all right? By what means did these miracles take place? Was it because... You kept the law. Was it because you adhered yourself to some rigid standard that said, yes, I am saved by faith in the work that Christ did. I have been delivered from this present evil age, and yet now I must keep this rigid set of rules in order that he may supply me his spirit or perform miracles in the midst. Is that what he's asking? He's asking them, listen, did these things happen because you were so religious and so bound to the law and you, you applied the law to your life in such a way that now, because you've met some standard on your own, God provided you with His Spirit and performed miracles in your midst. That's what he's asking them. He's saying, listen, these, this spirit, his Holy Spirit, his very own spirit has been supplied to you and I. How? Because you kept the law? Because you met some standard? Because you bore some kind of obligation or burden? Therefore, you obligated God to provide you his spirit? What are we all going to say to that? No. I hope that's what you're saying. Because we stand in a place where we are basically feeble and frail humans 
who are in desperate need of what God provides every day. And yet, we also have to remember that these things that we need, these provisions of His Spirit, this working of miracles, is not going to come because we keep the law. Maybe you don't believe it. Maybe you think, I need to. I need to. I need to. And if I do, then maybe God. And what is he saying? He's saying, no. These things were provided to you because you wholeheartedly, without reservation, cling to the one who justifies you before a holy God. Jesus Christ, His life, His death, and His resurrection is the one and only thing that we cling to. And by doing that, we have that access into everything that God provides and has promised. It's in Him that all the promises of God are yes, and in Him, amen. So, He tells us that no one is justified in the sight of God, or is justified by the law in the sight of God, for it is evident the just shall live by faith. In chapter 5, in verse 1, he tells these Christians then. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. What yoke of bondage is he talking about? It's talking about the law. The yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor and he is obligated to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Those are some serious words, are they not? Those who attempt to be justified by the law have fallen from grace. Wow. Golly, brother, what are you saying? The laws of no use, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there's a new and living way by which we are to fulfill the law. And it's walking in His Spirit. So the outworking of our faith. You know, we have a lot of... We we all here would say that I am saved by grace through faith. I hope that's what you're saying. I hope you're saying that, you know what? Jesus did it all. He did it all. I have no merit of my own that can obligate God to provide for me anything He's promised. It is by Him and Him alone. He is the mediator between God and man. 
That's humbling. That leaves us with what? We don't earn anything, do we? We can't earn anything. We're never going to be good enough to earn anything. Our righteousness will never be acceptable. We need His righteousness. We need His blood before we can even come to the throne of grace and find mercy and grace to help in the time of need. So when He's telling us in chapter 5 and verse 6, He says, For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but it's what? Faith working through love. Can we say, and I'm not trying to twist things around, I'm just trying to establish a a thought that our faith in Christ, our justification by faith, our right standing with God because of our absolute adherence to what Jesus did will then be worked out through love. Can we say, can we as individuals, I mean, James would touch on this, but can we as individuals say that we have faith, say that we are of His Spirit, say that we have been born again of God's Holy Spirit, and not in an expression of love for Him or love for others, work out that faith. Otherwise, we're kidding ourselves. To say we have faith and not express it in some sort of way in this natural realm is not faith at all. It's nothing. It's just talk. It's vain, empty talk. You're deceiving yourself. So when he talks about liberty in Christ, we all like the idea of being set free. We all remember possibly a day. Maybe you don't remember that far back because some of us who are 50, you know, that was so long ago. But can you remember a day that you were held under the bondage and the weight and the burden of sin? Was it heavy? Was it? And every time the law, the Ten Commandments, things were brought up, did the weight get heavier? Because that's what the law is going to do, isn't it? It's going to make sin exceedingly sinful. Every time we think about the law, we think, oh, it kills us, doesn't it? Isn't that what it's designed to do? It's designed to kill you. It's designed to make sure you know that you are so distant from a holy, righteous God that when Jesus Christ comes into your life, you realize it's now His righteousness that becomes mine. And now I stand before God set free. But am I set free in a way that allows me to live however I want? Well, he says that the liberty we have in Christ is not... I don't have this scripture. The liberty that we have in Christ is not a license to sin. But it's so that 
we can what? Love one another. Now we no longer are of obligation to the law, which is summed up how? How is the law summed up? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? If you keep the law, that's what you'll do. But now he's telling us, listen, as you who are born of me, you who have my spirit, you who have received of me, you are expected then to walk in his spirit, thus fulfilling the very law of loving your neighbor as yourself. So I have to ask myself the question. I'll ask you the same thing. If we're not loving our neighbor as ourselves, are we are we of his spirit? I mean, are we so carnal that we forget that his holy spirit resides within us and as someone else who has his spirit, there is an attachment between me and them and it's what? Because we're both good looking? Because we both have the same amount of money? Because we're both, you know, highly educated? Or where's the connection? Where's the union? It's the spirit he's put within me and the spirit he's put within you. Now, if I'm going to walk in the spirit and you're going to walk in the spirit, we're going to have to express by our attitudes and actions the very thing and the very person of who that spirit is. And in doing that, we're going to have to demonstrate that. And that's what we read in chapter 6. The demonstration of walking in His Spirit. This isn't all of it, but the demonstration of walking in His Spirit is going to be expressed in a proper attitude and action with those who are of the same Spirit. Would you agree with that? That you who have been born again, and you, and you, and you, and you, and all of us here who've been called unto Him, who have been born again by His Spirit, who are now of one and the same parent, who have the same Spirit, something has got to happen in that The spirit that he's given me, that spirit which I am told to be walking in, is going to have to demonstrate itself when it comes to how I am with the rest of everyone else who has that spirit. Because if he died for me, he also died for you. And until we view each other outside or beyond the natural realm, until we see each other as His children all together, as His called out individuals from a corrupt and dark world, until we begin to see each other as a spiritual community and as such find ourselves living amidst a dark and corrupt and lost world. But you and I are not just a bunch of individuals here. We are 
a spiritual community. We are joined together by His Spirit. So it needs to manifest. It needs to be demonstrated in a way that's scriptural. Well, in chapter 6, the first thing he says in chapter 6 is what? That if a brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual. Now many of you might say, well, I'm not that spiritual. So I'm not. I'm off the hook. That's only for the spiritual ones. What are you saying? I mean, don't. I hope nobody's saying that because now you're saying I'm carnal. Spiritual means those who are walking by His Spirit. They are they are living by His Spirit. I mean, we know it, the Holy Spirit is a person, right? I mean, we know that it's His person. It's it's not tingly feelings and lightning bolts. It's His person residing within me. It's His person residing within you. My connection to you needs to be right on that level. So if I see, he says here, brethren, if you see a a man overtaken or swept away, so to speak, in a trespass, and in this context, could you see it? Could you see like Peter? Could you see an individual in this room? Maybe someone comes along that's so zealous that they're kind of swept away with something that's a little bit off. They've taken things a little too far. They've tried to impose burdens on others. That happens. We know it. We probably know people who have gotten so zealous Yes, on fire for Jesus. And begin to establish their focus and their drive and all that. Yes, and and before long, and we know these people, we probably know of some of them. And maybe, I know I have, I've been there in a small way. Where you begin to think, I've got something. And you don't. Come on up to this stand. Now I'm raising the bar. And I'm telling people by me either acting or saying that, am I not placing a burden on that person that is never intended for them to bear? It's very easy to do. It's done all the time. I mean, how easy is it for people who... We appreciate zeal, don't we? We should all be zealous... For God, according to knowledge. But zeal is a good thing. But how many times have we seen zeal kind of go awry in some people's lives? I remember, and I'm sure there's a half dozen in here maybe going to remember this. I'm not going to mention any names. But at one point I'm listening to a teaching, and it was on marriage and the family, and he used... Making a cake out of a box mix. And he was using it as just an illustration of to make a point. And did people not run with that? Can't make cakes out of a box mix anymore. Who said? The leader didn't even say that. 
But see, that's zealousness. That's, that's now imposing a burden on others to say, you made a cake out of a box? Who are you? Let me get up a little higher. You made a cake out of a box. We laugh. It's not funny to those who felt the burden of those people's standards imposed upon them. These burdens, and this is my message, these burdens, these things that we may even have placed on people in some period of our life when we are so zealous about our truth or something. I know there was a period in my life when I learned some stuff. Wow, God showed me things. Oh, you don't know what I know. And I don't know nearly what I knew. <laughs> and the more I know, the less I know. The more I learn, the less I'm realizing. I don't, you know, so we don't know things completely, do we? But to impose that on another, to find a person caught up or overtaken in that kind of an, a trespass. These people here maybe were swept away with this idea, I need to keep the law. And they begin to follow. And they begin to be overtaken with that. What's our responsibility as those who are walking in His Spirit who have the liberty that Jesus Christ provided from those burdens? What are we to do? Restore. Restore. And yet, the history and our short past, our near past, tells us that many people would go, let him go. He messed up. He made his own choices. He's not as spiritual as we are. Oh well. And how many people have been injured and wounded and damaged because of minor Burdens laid upon others by who? Us. God never intended for these burdens to be on you and I. He expected us, as we saw someone swept away and overtaken by something, to go to that person, not with conceit and arrogance. <sighs> I'm all that. I'm so much more spiritual than you. Let me straighten you out. But in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, who do you think you are? You're just another child of God saved by grace. We need to have a proper mindset about ourselves and about everyone else who is His. God's no respecter of persons. And He certainly doesn't expect us to place burdens of our own on others. But we're told to restore those who maybe are overtaken in a fault. He goes on in verse 2. i got to hurry up because my 50 minutes is almost over. Verse 2. He says this. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Does that sound like something we need to be doing? I mean, is it optional? 
Is it, is it, is it an optional thing to fulfill? And this is what I'm, this is, I don't, you know, bearing one another's burdens, we can kind of see what that is. But in doing so, what are we to do? Fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens? You know, right away you think, I got enough of my own. I got enough of my own burdens. I don't need yours and yours. And I, I don't, I, but you know what? As an assembly of people in a spiritual community, we do bear one another's burdens, or we should. And we say the law of Christ, what are we talking about here? Well, I'm certain I don't have all the answers on that. But when I look at the context of this letter, you have the law of Christ. You've got law and faith, law and grace contrasted. The law of the law of Christ contrasted with who? The law of Moses. So the law of Christ is love. It's the outworking of our faith through love. It's us learning how we may bear each other's burdens. And I don't believe he's here talking about financial. I mean, all these things could apply, financial burdens. And, you know, we all have, you know, what's a burden? When we think about a burden, it's basically an obligation or a debt or a responsibility, right? I mean, if you have a burden of responsibility, you've been set in a place where you're going to have to bear the responsibility for something. That's plain, as plain as I can make it. So a burden is one of these things that we, we carry around. Some of them are perfectly fine. If, if you're married, you now have the burden of a wife. Why are you laughing? Because she's going to say the same thing about you. You have children. You now have... And, I'm, and we, I'm, I'm trying to make burden appear not to be this dreary... <clears throat> you have children. You have the burden and responsibility of raising those children. Don't you? If you have a job, you have burden. I mean, all these things are burdens. But... I can't be expected to raise your kids, but I can pray for you, can't I? But what if your burden is not really a burden that's founded or genuinely from Him? What if you've established within your own life or you've allowed someone else to place upon you a burden that you never were intended to bear. Something that Christ has already set you free from. Some standard by which you or me or anyone else may be trying to impose on you or me. Can I help you with that burden? Can, can I take a little time of counsel and exhortation and, and prayer and say, listen, brother, That guilt you're carrying around, Jesus paid it. That that failure you had, and you're still carrying that guilt of your failure, 
Jesus Christ is He who makes you right. Put it in His hands. Turn from it. Move on. We can't allow the burdens that we impose upon ourselves, real or imagined, become those things that hold us back from being loving individuals to one to another. So how many times do we see somebody who's burdened? I mean, we all, this church here, we're not, and I'm just going to say this, we are, as far as I can tell, a, a loving group of individuals. And I believe our intention is to help one another. But we're not exclusive in doing that. There are plenty of churches that do that. But I don't care about them. It's about you and I, isn't it? It's about this group. It's about us learning to bear one another's burdens. It's about taking some of the weight that someone may be feeling and relieving it. I can do that with money. I can do that with time. I can do that with prayer. I can do that with counsel. I can do that with truth. Because I believe there are individuals in this room who are bearing burdens that have been imposed upon them by others and not Christ. And when you begin to bear a burden that's not His, when you begin to bear the weight of someone else's opinion or standard as to how you should live, how you should teach your kids, how you should raise your family, what kind of job, how many hours you work. All these things are fine as as God. I mean, we all need to do these things. But no one has the right to impose on another their standard and burden them with the idea that in order to be spiritual like me, you need to do this and this and this and this and this. And after a while, what does that become? A burden. I wonder how many people... I mean, it hurt me to think about this. How many people in this church are burdened right now by either a word or an action or an attitude by someone else? And what happens is is they they don't speak up, but they kind of slide off to the edge because now they're going, I can't keep up. I can't meet the standards that are being established. And they slide off to the side. And then they sort of slip to the back. And because they can't, in their mind, handle the burden that someone else has placed upon them that is not their burden to bear, they go out the door. And we don't see him again. And I think that's probably happened. And instead of bearing one another's burdens, instead of keeping your own burden to yourself and allowing other people the grace to grow and live their life before 
God and God alone, knowing that their Savior is the same Savior you have. And that standards and burdens that are imposed upon one another, we need to be careful. Because the Pharisees, oh, we love the Pharisees. We love the Pharisees. Now, you hear the word Pharisee, what do you think? Oh, them self-righteous, blah, blah. What if the Pharisees in their history were zealous people who simply wanted to do what was right, who simply wanted to to stand before God as the ones who did it right. Those The word means separate ones or to separate. Pharisee. Isn't that what we want to do? We want to separate ourselves from the corruptness, corruptness that's in the world. So as the Pharisees start out as those who simply have a heart, a zeal for doing things right, can we blame them for that? Yet Jesus comes on the scene... And by then, they've imposed so many burdens on people. They were weighing them down with their interpretation of how things need to be done. How you are going to be righteous before God. You are going to have to be like us. You're going to have to dress like us. In fact, you know what? You're never going to be like us. We are the exclusive ones now. We've attained to a level that keeps everyone else out. And we despise those who don't meet our standard. And yet Jesus sat with publicans and sinners and prostitutes and the dregs of the world. And what did they do? This guy sits with... He's sitting with sinners. Don't tell me. Because I see it. I don't see it here. I'm not accusing anyone here. But I see it out in the religious world. People who have raised the standard so hard, they've got such a high opinion of themselves that they are keeping people out. They are, they are burdening others with their standard. They're not, they're not bearing the burdens of others. They're imposing it. Their traditions are becoming the commandments of God. We cannot allow that to happen. We need to learn to love each other where we are. Can, can you look at somebody, see their hurt, and can you cry for that person in prayer and weep? And feel the pain they're feeling, the burden that they carry of guilt or whatever it is. Can you look at that person and feel that? Is there a connection there between their Holy Spirit and the Spirit you've been given? Or do you look at them and go, well, they got what they deserved. Jesus Christ never did that. Jesus expects us to love each other as He loved us. Thereby, all men will know that we are His disciples. 
How is that? Oh, it's by moving mountains? That's not what he said, is it? I think if you ran across a person who spoke in tongues and they could interpret it's tongues of men and of angels. And you know what? They had faith so that when they spoke to mountains, they moved. They had all knowledge. They understood deep mysteries of God. They were dressed just right. They carried the biggest Bible you ever saw, and they knew what it said. They understood mysteries that you and I maybe don't get. And yet 1 Corinthians 13 says, what about that person? That unless they have love, they're nothing. They're nothing. I want us to learn to not be burden imposers, but burden bearers. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is this the yoke and the burden that we impose on ourselves and others? I hope. He expects us to express and be fruitful in that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faith, goodness, all these things that are of Him. They're not rules. They're an expression of who He is in us. Rules are just what they are, aren't they? Rules and standards become what? Obligations and burdens. I certainly am not up here saying let's throw all the rules out. Let's just put the chairs willy-nilly in a circle and just everybody talk at once. And that's not, you know that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying abandon your consciences and live however you want. I'm saying, what I am saying is, is just like Paul said to the Galatians, If you live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. If you've been made alive from the dead by God, by His Spirit, you need to walk in that very same Spirit. And that Spirit does not burden people with their high-minded idea of how they need to live. The problem with zeal is just that. We Really, I want to be as zealous as I can be. I can't work up zeal. I can't, I can't work up zeal. I mean, I guess I can try to <laughs> do something. I don't know what you do. I can encourage myself in the Lord. I can, I can read and pray and trust God. I can't necessarily work up zeal. But zeal has that side of it. Where when we get a hold of a truth or we establish a standard for ourselves, 
And it could be right down to little stuff like homeschooling. Uh, look, they didn't homeschool through high school. <laughs> they don't meet our standard. Oh, look, they've only got nine kids. I got ten. I mean, we laugh. We laugh. But I do think we need to be careful that these do not become the burdens that we place on others. Because we're going to turn to Romans 14 real soon. And we're going to see that your life is lived before God and Him alone. Your conscience is before Him and Him alone. You will appear before Him and Him alone. I want everyone in this room to live in the liberty that Christ came to bring. Because when we walk in liberty, we can fulfill the law of Christ in that we learn to love one another because we no longer have these standards of how other people need to do things. We love them because of who they are. We don't judge them based on their shortcomings or their achievements. We see them as children of God, just like us. And we're all just another functioning member in the body of Christ, committed to and joined to and adhered to one another for their well-being. That's what I want. Is that too much to ask? Because I want to see a unified, joined-together temple of God wherein God dwells, wherein we, by our own efforts, can never bring about the manifestations of gifts that He so much wants to manifest within His own body for their edification. Verse 3, I'll have to, I'm at 48 minutes. Verse 3 and 4. 2 says we need to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then he goes on in verse 3 and says, 4. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he's deceiving himself. He deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. We need to make sure, in order to avoid burdening others or feeling a burden upon ourselves from others or even our own imagination, you can't, maybe I'm the only one that's ever done that, where you start beginning to set some kind of level and standard. I need to pray 23 hours a day and I need to fast for eight days a week. You know what I'm saying? I mean, maybe you're not like that, but I have a tendency and I think as human beings, we want to start to form rules and things of how we are going to not manipulate God, but we're going to somehow by if we do this and this and this, we are going to cause God's grace to just have to be here. I'm not saying you can live in sin. Believe me, somebody in here living in adultery, 
Someone in here that's covetous and a drunkard, guess what? You're gonna get deal, you're gonna get dealt with. We're not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about standards that are your convictions, not theirs. We're talking about living a life that you live before God and not expecting them to do just the same. It's about us accepting one another even as Christ has accepted us. And when He accepted me, I was far from perfect. He accepted me, it says. Scripture tells us. Shortcomings and all. I had a few. A few more than you. So however many you had, I'm sure I'm... Believe me, we all know what we're saying. So we need to not think ourselves to be something. In other words, we begin to, in our own minds, and maybe, I, I don't think this exists in this church, but it has existed in other groups. The Puritans, you know, people who set out, all they want... Again, just like the Pharisee, I want to do what's right. I want to just what's right. There are people in this room that know others closely who have established a standard and are imposing burdens on others. They're not lifting a burden. They're imposing burdens. And you know what it's like to be under that. You don't want to. We are not to submit to that for one hour, as Paul said when they came in. So, one way we can avoid thinking a little more highly of ourselves than we ought to, I think the easiest thing to do is to not compare ourselves with one another. I think our standard of how we live It's not you or you or you or you. That's not my standard, is it? Because as soon as we begin to compare ourselves with others, we're going to find some who are... (laughs) And then we're going to find some who are... Wow. But my standard and your standard is who? Jesus Christ. The one who you will give an account to. And if Jesus is meek and lowly and gentle... And willing to restore people like Peter? Woman caught in adultery? I don't condemn you. Is God in the, is God in the business of restoring humans or is he looking for reasons to cast us out? Does he want us in here to begin to establish such a high standard that we become exclusive? There's reasons why we don't let the riffraff in here. We don't want any riffraff in here, do we? Maybe John and I should quit going to the prison. There's human beings in there. There's souls in there. There's people in there. We should be those who bear one another's burdens thus fulfilling the law of Christ. We are all grafted into one vine. 
we have all entered through one door. We are all born again of one spirit. We've all been reconciled to him. We've all been made his children by grace. He judges you and I by his own standard, not by my standard or yours. He says that we should examine, verse 4, we should examine his own work. Each man should examine his own work, not comparing it to others and going, well, I'm doing a little better than them. But we examine our own work in light of Scripture. And we don't beat ourselves up over it and go, you know, we all know that we could do better. I, I know if I ask for hands, there'll be one or two that have don't need to do better. You're all... Anybody want to volunteer that hand raising? So what are you saying? If we're all still in the process of being joined together and being worked on, and God is still working with us, and He hasn't cast us aside. He hasn't, like we've heard in the last several months, Peter's drowning. Ugh. I'm going to hold him under for a little while. I'm going to teach him something. Now, you cry out to God with a sincere heart that says, I need your help. I need your help. And sometimes that help comes through you. If we turn our back, if we establish a fact that I'm better than them and they don't deserve my help, we're not helping anyone. We're certainly not walking in His Spirit. It says that He will have rejoicing. In verse 4, He will have rejoicing in Himself or boasts in himself alone and not in another. Our boasts, our works are before God and are judged by God and the standard is made by Him. It's not about the works that you do that are better than someone else. It's not going to be about someone else judging your standard as adequate. He goes on and he finishes and he says, For each shall bear his own burden. Before we start, I shouldn't say it like that, before we even have an idea, fleeting moment of thought that says, my standard needs to be everyone else's standard. We need to remember that we have our own responsibility before God. It's not our business. Unless you're in sin, I'm gonna, you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to deal with that. But I'm talking about someone who's living their life with a conscience before God. And he who knows men's hearts receives them. We need to bear our own burdens. Let's finish up Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Somebody should preach this message. Romans chapter 14. 
We know the whole chapter is about those who have a liberty. They understand their conscience stands before God in such a way that they understand they have the liberty to eat anything. They can eat meat, not just vegetables. They don't have to maintain some kind of diet to be in right standing with God. They don't have, some don't feel the need to observe holy days and things like that. Some do. And he's dealing with that. In verse 12, he says this very thing. He says, that's 10. He says, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. And in verse 4, he says, Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master. He stands or he falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand. For God, God, God is able to make him stand. Wow, who are we to ever judge another person in such a way and even think that they're not spiritual enough to fellowship with us or they haven't attained a certain level. It's God who is able to make you and I stand. So to walk in the Spirit is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's how we are an expression. That's how we demonstrate walking in His Spirit and fulfilling the law of Christ is by loving our neighbor as ourself. Amen. That is my title, Fulfilling the Law of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for for giving us your instruction, your word. We thank you for providing for us your Holy Spirit by which we live and walk. We thank you that through your Spirit we are able to bear one another's burdens and to love others as you love them. I pray, Lord, that those of us who have heard you speak, that we will allow it to take root, that we will examine ourselves and prove our own work and not be comparing ourselves one to another. We pray for your safety today for all of us, your protection, your love, and your grace. And again, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. May I stand? Let us love one another. 
service of God And everyone that loveth is born of God And knoweth God He that loveth not Knoweth not God For God is love Love Let us love one another First John 4, 7 Tom, the secret to preaching 50 minutes is to not start the stopwatch for 20. <laughs> I'm sure he's listening. So, Well, greet one another. Bless them and you're dismissed. <laughs>